can take your seats. As you're sitting down, we're going to open to Psalm 116. As you probably figured out by now, I'm not Pastor Lee. Um, Pastor Lee, Nadine was in an accident this weekend, and luckily she's okay. She had been in the hospital, and they are traveling home from New York today. And so they stayed one day late dealing with the accident and Nadine being in the hospital and her getting out. And now, so she's recovering, going to be okay, and they're on the way home today. Praise the Lord for that. So I, w- I was really excited to hear Pastor Lee's Palm Sunday sermon. So I, I'm sure you were as well. <laughs> but this morning, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 116. I'm going to read that for us, and then we'll pray to the Lord, and then begin to Psalm chapter 116, beginning in verse 1. I love the Lord, because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because He inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I, sp- even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be with us as we spend this time meditating on your word. I ask that you will use the words that come out of my mouth and make them pleasing and acceptable to you. And I ask that, Holy Spirit, you would come and use them in our lives to change our hearts and transform us. Bring us to Christ and make us more like him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I originally wrote this sermon and started working on this sermon... Andrew Brunson, the American Presbyterian pastor from North Carolina, was in prison in Turkey. A lot of you know Brunson was arrested and imprisoned in October back in 2016. And at that point, he had been suffering in prison for almost a year and a half. And this was because the the Turkish government accused him of terrorist activity. But Andrew Brunson was a faithful minister of the gospel, and he faithfully reached Turkish citizens with the gospel of Jesus Christ for 23 years before being imprisoned. And so we had like 
President Trump and Mike Pence and the former UN ambassador Nikki Haley were all basically calling out Turkey and saying something needs to be done, this isn't right, but nothing really happened. Our churches, our church, prayed for his relief, release for weeks and weeks and weeks. And for over a year and a half, the Lord didn't answer. The ARP, the denomination, called a whole, a whole day for fasting and prayer for Andrew Brunson. Nothing happened on that day or the next day after. Andrew Brunson's daughter postponed her, her wedding, waiting on his release, and she said, I'm still waiting for my dad to walk me down the aisle, and I'm still waiting for that father-daughter dance. Well, how do you think she felt? How did we feel knowing that we prayed for his release week in and week out, and it seemed like nothing was really coming of it? Well, this psalm in chapter 116, it's giving, it's an expression of this deep concern that we all have. Everyone who's in Christ has this concern, and it's that, does God hear my prayers? Does he act on my behalf? Does he? I know many times I don't feel like God is really there, and I'm thinking, I'm praying, and I don't know if you're even hearing me, God. I don't know if this is, is this even going to work? There's no way. But what God wants to show you today is that, yes, he did, and because he has, he will. And now it's even better because I actually get to preach the sermon and say, see, we prayed for Andrew Brunson, and God did hear our prayers, and because he's shown himself faithful before, he'll do it again. Today, God has three things for us to see. He wants us to see that our, he answers our prayers for spiritual salvation through Christ. And then second, because he has heard our prayers for spiritual salvation, he will answer our prayers in times of distress in this life. And then third, our response to this should be unrelenting praise. So we're going to begin with point number one, which is the Lord's salvation delivers you from spiritual death. If you look at verse one, how do we start? I love the Lord. We know this is going to be a good one right off the bat. You can't start with, I love the Lord, and expect it to not be a good one. But if you think about it, to love God, you, gotta, you have to first know God. John Calvin says that your heart will always be wandering after fruitless pleasures and harassed with care until God knits your heart to himself. Until your life is filled for love for God, you'll always be looking for fulfillment. You're always going to be searching for that thing that's going to be enough. It's going to fill you up. It's going to make you feel like, oh, I'm finally okay. I finally made it. Loving the Lord is the key to finding this deep inner peace, even in the midst of suffering. This love, love of the Lord, is in a way one of the first signs of salvation. Because 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And so what is this love that he showed us? What is God's love? Well, 1 John 4.9 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Because without him sending his one and only son into the world so that we can live, then we're left with the psalmist in verse 3 where he says, the snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. What he's saying is he's saying there's no way he could escape from this. He was bound with chains and enslaved to death. Romans 6 says if you don't have Christ, then you're a slave to sin. 
And then Paul goes on to say that the wages of sin, what comes because of sin, is death. So without God's love in Christ, and you are truly caught in the snares of death, the pangs of Sheol, the punishment of eternal hell, is calling your name if you don't have Christ. Because you're dead in your trespasses and sins, your prayer must be, like in verse 4, look there, then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. That has to be your prayer. You look at verses 5 and 6. You pray that to God. Why? Because gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. He's merciful and He saves. In verse 6, the Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. So if we stop here at verse 6 for a second, we read the Lord preserves the simple and we think, okay, that means dumb. Well, not exactly. The simple are those who are in need. Proverbs talks about the simple as the the young and the naive, those who make mistakes, who need more wisdom. Another way of understanding it is like little children. So when my, my brother was little, he never played with just one toy. He would take like Legos from here and these cars from here and these figures from this box and these cardboard cutouts from that box, put them all together and make up his own game. And so you walk in his room and it's just utter chaos. And my mom would say, Caleb, it's time to clean your room. And he would turn around, look at all the mess, and he would just cry. He was like, it's so much mess, there's no way I can put it up. And he would just say, can somebody just help me? Can somebody just help me? And that's you and me. You're that little child before God who can't clean up his own mess. You can't escape the snares of death and the pangs of Sheol. And the bad thing is, we ourselves created them by our own sin. We made the mess. And the punishment that we rightly deserve for the mess that we made is the punishment of sin, which is death. But does God leave us? Does he tell us, all right, go clean up your mess or go figure it out, figure it out, or else you will face this punishment of death? No, you have a Savior who took your death. So when you say, oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul, then Jesus Christ is there having already paid everything that needed to be paid for you to be saved. He already did it all. So that's why we're skipping down. Look at verse 13. The psalmist says, I will lift the cup of salvation. Christ is offering you the cup of salvation and telling you, come and drink and be full. And he can only say this because instead of the cup of salvation, Christ drank the cup of God's wrath against sin. If you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Easter week, Jesus prays and he, he's sweating blood and he says, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me. So what is that cup? What is the cup? It's the cup of the wrath of God. The Old Testament prophets talked about the wrath of God being poured out like a cup. And Jesus is saying, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But it wasn't his will. God purposely and intentionally gave Jesus Christ that cup of wrath for the punishment of sins so that you can drink the cup of salvation. You get that cup of salvation that makes you full and brings you life only because Christ drank the cup that led to the punishment of sins. He drank the cup of wrath so that you could drink the cup of salvation. See, God 
he, he takes death very, very seriously because Jesus was there as a man. Jesus suffered and died. And so we have to look at verse 15 where it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. On first glance, you think, I don't understand what that means. But you have to really dig in and we say, okay, if it's precious, that means it's costly. It was painful to him. Costly and painful. Why is the death of God's saints costly and painful to him? Because Jesus paid the price for it. Jesus paid the price to provide you with your only way to get to heaven. This, maybe this quote from the pastor John Piper will help. He says, Therefore the arrival of every saved saint in heaven is another trumpet tribute to the preciousness of Christ's life and death on this earth. This is where it gets good. He says, It must, it seems, that he must, it seems to me, take each one by the hand, as it were, and lead the saint to the Father and say, Look, another trophy, another fruit of my travail, another sinner saved and soul made perfect, Oh, Father, look what we have wrought. Is this not precious? Is this saved saint not precious because of the blood of Christ that was spilled? No, Christ, He died to crush the head of Satan because Satan wielded the power of death. But because of Christ's victory in the resurrection in Easter, those in Christ, you don't have to fear death anymore because death, which was the enemy, is now the doorway into the very presence of God Himself. Death was the enemy, and now it's the doorway into the very presence of God Himself. So in light of all this, I invite you, invite you to come. It's a, it's a good thing. Come to your wit's end. Realize the depths of your slavery to sin. Feel the gut-wrenching guilt before a perfect and holy God and then your response should be to cry out for mercy. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. There's a good hymn that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. There's another one that says that Jesus ready stands to save you full of pity, love, and power. He's there ready to save you having already done the work. God has provided the way to your salvation to believe in Christ today and be delivered from death, hell, and the grave. But not only this, as we come to point two, we see that because God has answered our prayers and given us a wonderful salvation, he's also going to be with us in our lives, day in and day out. And so point two, the Lord's salvation gives you hope in times of distress. When you look at verse three, where we read, the snares of death encompass me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me, I suffered distress and anguish. If we read and look down at verse eight, Look there where it says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. The psalmist is in some way talking about spiritual death, but he's not only talking about spiritual death. He says, My, my, my eyes were filled with tears. My feet were stumbling. I was stumbling around, breaking under the weight of the pain that we experience in this life. And we all get there. Tears in our eyes and we feel like we're stumbling around and don't know, what am I going to do? What, what am I doing? So, in other parts of the Bible, like in verse 3 where it says the snares of death and the pangs of Sheol, these can refer to any kind of general suffering. The psalmist is metaphorically saying, life has become like hell. And it could be from persecution, from the attack of an enemy. 
It could be from, from hurtful words, somebody talking behind your back, somebody bullying you. It can be physical distress like illnesses and diseases and pains. and All these things can cause doubts. But the psalmist, he's being intentionally vague and not giving us the specifics because he's saying, this applies to you in your life too, in your experiences. The Bible is describing our experiences. But often we feel like the Bible doesn't really understand. Like the Bible just doesn't really get it. It can't help me when I'm afraid or when I'm anxious or when I'm worried. It just doesn't. I open it and it doesn't, it's just not there. But when I read this psalm and I think about the experience that the psalmist is describing, I think, I feel that. I feel that. I have a feeling it's much the same for you. See, the the Bible is speaking to what we experience and saying, here, turn here for guidance. Turn here for help. He, God gives us this word for a reason, and the Holy Spirit uses it for a reason because it does get it. It does understand what we're going through. God understands. Oftentimes, this deep distress and these hard times, it coils around us, and it's like a, like a snake wrapping itself around our souls, and it feels like it's just dragging us down and down, and we can't get out, and we can't break free. The snake of suffering It's too strong and it's just dragging us down and you can't get out of the darkness. And in verse 2 he says, Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Then if you look at verse 13, I lift the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And again in verse 17, offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. So when you're busy and you're overwhelmed, And then your boss adds another thing to your to-do list and you just think, no, 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 I can't do this. It's too much. Maybe it's anxiety hits again and your heart is pounding and your, your hands are going numb. I will call on the name of the Lord. Or maybe it's when life hits you hard and things are falling apart and you get a call that your mother's in the hospital again. Or you find out that your pastor's daughter has been hit by a car. Or your child has been diagnosed with some tough sickness or disease. All those times when you think, Lord, when will it stop? I just can't keep going. Then I will call on the name of the Lord. And when you do call on the name of the Lord, you can look over at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. When times of trouble come, you've got to remind yourself of God's saving work in your life. Remind yourself of what God has done. Remind himself of what Jesus did on the cross. If you look over, I want to read this verse. If you look over at Psalm 42, verse 5, it says almost the same thing. It says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What's the psalmist doing when he's saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. When the hard times come and life is falling apart, sometimes you've got to just talk to yourself. It might sound like you're crazy, but you've got to remind yourself, hope in God, for he is my salvation. We need these reminders to say, no, hope in God. I feel like I'm falling apart on the inside. No, hope in God. I will call upon the name of the Lord. He's heard your prayers before. 
If he's done it before, he'll do it again. True faith is trusting and waiting on the Lord until he delivers. Even if it takes way longer than you think it should. Even when you're crying and stumbling around. The psalmist says he was there crying and stumbling around. But yet the Lord was there. The Lord delivered him. So it doesn't necessarily say God's going to keep you from ever having those times. It says, really, and this is a tough truth, God is going to lead you through those times. Which is hard because our automatic, you know, what we think is, nope, I don't want to go there. Get me out of this. Well, sometimes God says, I'm going to lead you through it for your good. And true faith is trusting in that. Strong faith in the saving work of God is what's going to bring you composure and peace, even when the whole world seems like it's violently imploding around you. This faith in God is what brings the the peace that surpasses all understanding that Paul talks about. It's Philippians 4, 7. And so we should love the Lord because he has heard our voices. He has heard our pleas for mercy. And he has inclined his ear to us. And because he has, he will again. Your hope and your peace in hard times is grounded in the fact that he has already saved you spiritually. Christians, this psalm is telling you that when you are suffering, you need to look back on your salvation. You need to look back and know that God is there and that he hears and he works on behalf of his children. We have to see that God has done the greater work. The bigger, harder work, you think the bigger, harder work is right here, right now, helping me with my job, or is the bigger, harder work saving me eternally, forever, forgiving me of all my sins, not just in this moment, but all of them. The greater work is our spiritual salvation. But don't let that lead you to think that God saves you and then leaves you on your own to go figure it all out in your life. I want to read Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And here it is right here. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give, give us all things? If he sent his son to die for you, how much more able and willing is he to walk with you day in, day out, through your hard times? He's there willing and able. So remember how God saved you from the snares of sin and eternal death and destruction, and let that remind you that he's also going to do it here in this physical suffering day in and day out. Your salvation is hope in times of distress. It's hope because God loves you and he won't let you go. He won't let the suffering be too much. Because go to Romans 8, 35, he says it right after, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love this. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You will come out on the other side of the dark tunnel of despair. The love of Christ is with you all the way through. And so your response to this is point three. The Lord's salvation leads you to praise. 
At this point, we've been meditating all these wonderful benefits of the Lord's salvation, the things that he does for us and the things that he brings to us. And so at some point, we have to come to the question, so what exactly am I supposed to do in light of all these things? Like, how am I supposed to respond to something that is this good? Just so happens that the psalmist asked the same question in verse 12. He says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? He's saying, what... What do I give to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Because, you know, he's asking this question, and it's almost like an impossibility, because I can never do enough to pay the Lord back. I can never do enough to make up for it. So what should I do? And it's here that we have to think biblically and not humanly. Because this, this plays out because my typical response is like, okay, somebody, you did a lot for me. Now I feel guilty because you've done a lot for me. Now, you don't have to do anything else. You know, I'm not going to ask you for anything else. You already did something for me. That's enough. No, you know, I don't want to be any more trouble to you. Oftentimes, this is how we approach God. But the psalmist says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I'm going to lift the cup of salvation. I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. John Piper says that lifting up the cup of salvation signifies taking the Lord's satisfying salvation in hand and drinking it and expecting more. We know this because the next phrase is, I will call on the name of the Lord. I will call for more help. What shall I render to God for graciously answering my call? Their answer is, I shall call again. See, God uses the hard times in your life for good, and he uses them to make you more like Jesus. But also, he gives you the gift of being delivered in these hard times so that you can praise him. It's like, you know, we know God's word says you ought to praise God, your creator, savior, redeemer. But then God gives us this like, oh, here's a gift. By the way, you ought to do this. Now I'm going to save you eternally. Now I'm going to save you right here, right now. And you're going to be so thankful for these things. It's going to lead you to praise me. God is glorified when you turn to him for help. So we should keep on turning to him. It's what he wants. We need to be a people that are always and forever turning to our God. Our only response to the saving works of God in our life should be saying, Yes, Lord, I praise you and I thank you, and I need more. I need more of this. You see, this, this whole psalm, of Psalm 116, is categorized as a psalm of praise. It's about praise, but it's, it's more than an inner experience or just a feeling. It's not, it's not that it's not that, but it's also more than that. But this is actually a public response given, you know, God is faithful, and then it's a public response given in the presence of God people at church. See, the psalmist is calling on, calling on the assembled people of God to give thanks and to celebrate how God has worked in their own lives. This means that your response to God's saving work in your life should also be praise. But it's the kind of praise that you tell other people about. You show them how he delivers his people by coming here to church and praising God. Give praise to his name, because when you come to church, we should be, should be reminded and should be reminding ourselves of how God has worked on our behalf, and then we intentionally praise him for the ways that he has worked for us. So we do this corporately together in front of other people. Show your praise. Show your praise to God, because this is what, happened, what is happening in verses 17 through 19. If you look at verses 17... I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord, where? In the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. See, 
This is, you can, you can do this at home, you can do this at work, you can do this with your friends. But maybe, maybe most importantly, you do it in corporate worship. We do it together with our family in Christ. And one of the ways we do this is through singing songs. We sing songs of praise to God every Sunday. The psalmists sing songs. They're meant for singing in worship. You know, this is something that I guiltily say. Some of us men, we are stereotypically struggle with this, hey, let's come and worship. Usually it's like, I need to be a manly, manly man and never expressing emotion, and never truly, you know, I don't want to show people that I'm worshiping God. No. A true saint of God comes into God's sanctuary and lifts worship to God in song with a thankful heart. We come to worship and praise God for what He's done in our lives week in and week out. And when we come and we see other people, you think about when you, if you've ever seen someone truly praising God, it's encouraging. It's encouraging when you see someone just... You know, they're lifting up their eyes and they're, they're singing and you can tell that they're just saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, thank you. And when you see that, it encourages you to go and worship. And then all of a sudden, we're encouraging each other to worship and encouraging each other to sing praises out to God. We're being brothers and sisters in Christ. And the psalmist, that's what he's doing. He comes into the congregation. He offers what is the sacrifice of thanksgiving in the Old Testament. And he's saying, imitate me as I worship God, so that it encourages you to worship God. And he does it, verse 18, he gives his vows in the presence of God's people. Verse 19, in the courts of the house of Jerusalem. That's the church. It's the people of God. You come to church and give a public display of worship, showing that it is God who has heard. It is God who has come. It is God who has delivered. And it's God who has saved us. Your public display of thanksgiving for God's deliverance in your life encourages others and it reminds them that God does hear our prayers and He does save. So Psalm 116 shows us that the the Lord's salvation delivers you from spiritual death, but also the Lord's salvation gives you hope in times of distress. So if you don't know Christ today, then turn to Him to deliver you from that slavery and that punishment for sin that will, that will be coming. But then when you do turn, turn to Christ, look to him to provide day in, day out in your hard times because he's there. He cares for you and he loves his children. The shepherd knows his sheep. And so let's look to him day in and day out. And our response to this can only be to offer praise to God. To come into worship and do it here and praise God for what he's done in your life. Don't miss this chance as we do it together and encourage one another. But also don't miss how God works in your life throughout the week and share that with your family and your coworkers. This is our God. This is what he does. Take it everywhere with you because God has delivered you in the past. And because he has before, he will again. And so with the psalmist at the end of verse 19, we say, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who hears our prayers and hears our cries. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come and to save us, to pay that price that we could never pay. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come now and and knit our hearts to Christ, to come and make us yours, show us who you are and what you've done, 
And then help us day in, day out to turn to you and to find our hope in you and our strength in you. And let us turn to you. And then help us and encourage us to encourage one another, to bring praise to you and to talk about all the good things that you have done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.